0: What's up, Fight Fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Thursday, July 23rd, 2020. This week's episode, Darren? Of course, we'll be talking about the last night on Fight Island this Saturday, the middleweight clash between Robert Whitaker, the former champion, and Darren Till. We will be recapping... UFC Fight Island 1 and 2, a new flyweight champion, a new contender in the featherweight division. And of course, we'll talk about the recent changes to next week's fight card. And of course, um, the return of MMA with Bellator coming back tomorrow. So, plenty to talk about. What's up, guys? As I said before, my name is Gabriel. You can find me on social media at DoubleG on TV. And I'm joined by my co-host, Ms. Natalie
1: Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Happy July 23rd, as you said. Happy Thursday. And uh, happy to talk to you, man. Are you ready for, what is this, Fight Island 3? Fight Island 3, yes. And ironically, oh, you know what, when you look at
0: the card... Honestly, like, top to bottom, this is probably the most stacked one outside of 251. And I'd argue that they have a little more pop on the prelims than 251. Obviously, you're not going to beat, uh, you know, the BMF uh, on pay-per-view, but this is a big card. This has got a lot of vets, a lot of OGs. The way I describe it, it's like a 2010 fight card when the entire main card used to be stacked. You know what I mean?
1: yeah yeah actually you're right you got a lot of uh got a lot of good old faces that we haven't seen in a while Patrick you Cohe is back i mean
0: among others but yes
1: she's. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, <laughs>
0: a lot of to pick out so yes <laughs> i was like you know that's a weird one but yes you're right Panny kianzai love her <laughs> Um, you know what? Yeah, so stacked card this Saturday. We got a lot to go over. We had two fight cards. We're a little late this week. Um, guys, I mean, we could talk all day about coming up, but we got to. I, I think we need to give everybody their due. Uh, let's get the ball rolling. Uh, UFC Fight Island 1. So, four days after Kamaru defends, they're still in Abu Dhabi, and we have this featherweight clash between Calvin Cater and Dan Ige. Um. Very bluntly, Dan Ige, very tough guy. He tried to make a lot happen. I think very bluntly, he did not have an answer for the extra firepower of Calvin Cater, who was very competent himself. It wasn't like it was just he was throwing power shots and doing it. He was He's a very smart, very competent striker, and everything Dan Ige was doing, he had an answer for, and then some. And then obviously Dan, down the stretch, was really starting to wear the damage, but... I was impressed by Ige's heart. He showed why he's one of the top up-and-comers at 145. But I also feel like more than anything, this was a great litmus test for Calvin Cater. He really proved that, you know, I think his time of taking on those middle-of-the-pack guys is officially a little behind him. I think he's ready to show him what he can do against the big familiar names that we all know are dominating the conversation. But what were your thoughts?
1: Yeah, man, that was a beautiful breakdown because that's exactly it as far as the outcome for Calvin Cater's future, right? What, what it looks like for him and what he's what he proved in that fight. Definitely middle of the pack is is in his rearview mirror. When we previewed this last week, I thought it was going to be, I think we both did, thought it was going to be like a barn burner. They're going back and forth. What a scrap based on how these guys performed the last two fights. But no, man, Calvin Calvin Cater was a little bit lopsided. Calvin Cater had the edge most of the fights. Dan Ige had some moments there, but but it was Cater's show, and um, and absolutely what he said before the fight and the you know the promotional material, everyone's kind of looking over me, they they don't see that I'm I'm the next guy here to to fear, and uh, he's right, he's he's well rounded, he's got firepower, he's slick, and and Dan Ige, I wouldn't say it was anything like a knock on him as much as a, as a, as a pop for Calvin Cater. Um, but, but it was, it was a good fight, but it wasn't as exciting as I thought it was going to be, but it was a great moment for Cater, for Cater, for sure.
0: I agree with you. I think they both showed a lot of good things for themselves, but Calvin Cater obviously was the one, you know, the big winner, you know, rightfully so in terms of the division, um, for Calvin, uh, I think if everything holds as we're expecting with Ortega fighting the zombies, Zabit and Yair, then I think that it's hard to say, it's hard not to put Calvin against Max Holloway. I don't think Max is going up to 155 right now with the way it's set up with Habib and Justin Gaethje and Connor and maybe Tony Ferguson coming back, Dustin Poirier. I just don't see Max making the jump. And at 145, I feel, like, I feel like it would be a slight disservice to the other contenders because I think at the end of the day, you want Max in the hunt. And I think that if you put him with one of the guys like Zombie or Zabit or someone like that, then you risk burning a future title contender because you want to see guys like Zombie and Zabit take their crack of the belt. So unless one of those guys ends up without a dance partner, I feel like Calvin Cater versus Max is next. Plus, you got the whole Avenge, his Hawaiian brethren over there with Dan Ige too for Max.
1: You know, it's a nice matchup, but I don't know. It seems kind of like uh, when's the last time Max Holloway fought someone? I mean, it's not low in the rankings because Kelvin's six, but when's the last time he had to do fight someone? You know, that wasn't even top five. Very interesting, but you know, it's kind of where both of those fighters you know like you go to the dance everyone has a partner and then these guys look across the room and they're they're the only ones who are left and and it it still makes sense but uh it would be a it would be a change for Holloway for sure but that's kind of what happens when you when you lose when you know when you have a couple of losses in a row especially championship losses whether you agree with the decision in the last fight or not you don't have to start all over again but you have to do a little bit of a of a little bit of climbing and that's where Max is right now so it it makes sense i like it
0: yeah and I'd like to point out, you know, for Max, like you said, everyone's... It's not even just like rumored. I mean, for all intents and purposes, a beat versus Jair, if I'm not mistaken, is a done deal. They just don't have the cool UFC graphic up yet on their Twitter. And um, I will say this, the Ortega zombie thing could throw a wrench in those works. But at the end of the day, I just feel like, hey, you know, in terms of Max, let's say he beats Calvin... Suddenly, he's in prime position if one of the aforementioned guys takes out Volkanovski at the top, and we have a new champ. So I think that that's just... Um, it just fits, like you said, with the dance partners. But yeah, I, I think it makes sense. And stylistically, I think it, um, it's a good test for Max, too. It's like, hey, this is exactly the kind of guy you got to prove that you are still ahead of if you're going to get your belt back. So I think the storylines just
1: work all together. Although, uh, what about... <laughs> Triple C throwing down the gauntlet for Volkanovski. Do you think that's actually going to happen?
0: I would rather see Triple C guest star on the next episode of Property Brothers. Oh, I don't. I have zero I know some people are getting excited and the, some big names tweet about it. I have zero interest in seeing that fight. I think that Triple C is doing everything he can to secure a payday that does not exist anywhere else. It is not because he thinks he's some great featherweight. Honest to goodness.
1: Yeah, you know, when I saw that, I was like, I think I should be more excited, but mostly I'm just like, what?
0: <laughs> you know, uh, here's the thing about Cejudo he's accomplished so much, but he, let's go, it's kind of like he's John Jones without the long resume. He's accomplished so much, but at this point at Bantamweight, it's just about somebody knocking him off the top. There's no beating Cody Garbrandt, beating Peter Jan. You know, Aljo, that's not going to really make him a big pay-per-view star at this point. I think that if you didn't get excited for him versus Dominic or whoever, you're not going to be more excited against one of the other guys I just named. And that's not a knock on him. That's just, I think, where he's at. You know, know, like I've said before, some people get that heat. Some people, they're just cooking with the, uh, what is it, the lighter fluid? Other guys, they kind of just sit with charcoal, and I think that's where he is in terms of generating pay-per-view revenue. He kicks butt. He's probably the best lightweight fighter out of all of them that have belts right now, but that's just neither here nor there. Indeed. Uh, Let's talk. So, all right, that was night one. Night two on Saturday, which, by the way, that was a fun card. I mean, when that main card just got rolling and it seemed like it was we were just having fun the entire night. But it ended, um, I'll, I'll say it, a little tragically so for Joseph Benavidez in context of that quiet uh, fight, the Flash Forum uh, on, on the island. Davidson, Figueredo, Joseph Benavidez, two. Um, Natalie, I want to give credit where it's due. Um, similar to the first fight, Joseph kind of had all the marv- all the dice kind of rolled his way. He got the high numbers. Um, Figueredo was the one who arrived late to Fight Island. Figueroa was the one who was still in quarantine for a while while Max was free. Um, I feel like there was a bit of a, you know, there's a bit of that sentiment for Benavidez and everything else, I think, as it wound down. But, man, Figueredo probably had, outside of a quick knockout, probably the most dominant victory to win a title in recent years that I can remember it just several knockdowns he left Benavidez bloody and all of it and put him not just tap didn't tap him out put him to sleep all within the five minute mark absolutely just a brutal dominating performance for Figueroa. he was just all systems go nothing else to add
1: yeah man he bulldozed him. it was hard to watch um Figueiredo, uh, yeah, I think three or four knockdowns or three or four submission attempts. I can't remember which of those is three and which is four. I will say this for Benavides, though. He was fighting for his life in there. I mean, the way he was, you know, there was nothing to defend at that point. Those, those submission attempts, those choke attempts were in deep. They were in. Anybody else, it's over. Oh, yeah. But he used all his strength, like literally, that he had left in for, to save himself, his, to save his life. To pull those his arm off Figueroa's arm off of his neck, he did it three times. My goodness, and it, and how many seconds were left? Like thirty seconds. Like he was so close to surviving the round, and you know, would he have been finished in the next? Possibly, probably. But gosh, it was just a complete demolition in five minutes, as you put it. Yeah, um, hard to watch, man. Hard to watch, but Benavidez fought for his life, and that was impressive. No, you know, when's the last time you saw someone fight for a, a belt that hard? Maybe Misha Tate when she beat Holly Holm in the fifth round. But Holly Holm was fighting to, to keep it, too. You know, she didn't even tap. She just went out as well. Uh, you know, but that's 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 MMA, man. It's it's a tough pill to swallow, bitter pill to swallow for Benavidez, no doubt. But but what it also shows is Figueredo is the real deal, and he's just super strong big enough where he can still make the weight sometimes not but most of the times yes and he did it when it counted in this time he's a big dude for that division lots of power super confident he had zero fear of Benavidez zero and it showed Mm -hmm. bummer outcome for Benavidez and you know we'll see what his career looks like the future for him now is is just gonna have to be you know not consolation he's done a lot of great things he's a great fighter he's only lost to the best only lost the champions um but it sucks <laughs> it just must suck so hard yeah Well, that's I, all I have to say
0: <laughs> I, I mean I know he did say he's probably looking at just one more and then the call it a call it a night um yeah like his heart like you said I mean he treated it like his last hurrah and I respect his heart so much um I think the fact is he ran his whole career, Um, you know, when you look at it, uh, even with Sergio Pettis, I mean, Sergio Pettis is fighting tomorrow, and if he wins Bellator gold and he holds it a while, that loss will probably look, you know, weird to say it'll look better in hindsight in a few years, but when you look at who he lost to, Dominic Cruz twice, mind you, pre-injury Dominic Cruz. Active and healthy knees and arms and shoulders, Dominic Cruz, is who beat Benavidez. Um, Demetrius Johnson, twice, when Demetrius was in the middle of making history. You know, it's kind of like one of those cases similar to, I think, Uriah Faber. Like, very great, hit his stride, but just competing at the same time as arguably some of the best ever. Um, Benavidez ran into... Arguably the best weight of all time, and even more arguably the best flyweight of all time. So, it is just tough luck. Hey, and he pulled out a win over Henry Cejudo in the middle of it. So, you know, take it for what it is, but yeah. Figueredo. I want to give style points, the walkout outfit, the Mission Impossible walkout <laughs> song. I was digging it. I got to give props where it's due. I think it's cool that he was a former hairstylist. I think he became even more popular now because now it's like, one, they all wanted him to cut their hair. But two, now you want to get your hair cut by the champion. Come on. That is pretty cool. I can imagine. And a
1: sushi chef, apparently. I mean. Yes. (laughs) Way to go.
0: Bruh. Just check. He's got a very colorful resume. I'll tell you that. That
1: would be an interesting business if he had like a salon. (laughs) next to a sushi restaurant, next to an MMA gym, you
0: know. <laughs> Just like a whole, like, corner block, like yeah. on one door. It's like, oh, that's the restaurant. Yeah, in the back room, we got the salon with the back door. Where's the gym? Oh, you turned around the corner to the left. <laughs> no, mm-hmm. but um, I, I like it. He Look, when you look at his uh, resume, obviously people didn't know him as much compared to Benavidez going into the first one. Now you got two wins over Joe B., He's beaten Pantoja, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Eskar Eskarov, um, the Russian guy who beat uh, Pantoja on the first fight, I like that at flyweight. I think that very bluntly, he's just, he's just going to have to start knocking them down. I don't see a bantamweight title shot happening anytime soon. I know, how do I put it? I think a lot of guys, and, and I get it, if the opportunity is there, why wouldn't you? But it kind of feels like people, a lot of guys are getting the jump up before they've defended the title too many times. And it's like, look, like I said, if you get the opportunity, I think Figueredo's is going to be one of those new champions. He's going to be facing a long line of people. Because at Bantamweight, they're already secure for about another year and a half between Marais, Aljo. Um, Cody. Yeah, Cody. Sean O'Malley probably going to be up there by the time we're done. So I, I think that figueredo has got his plate pull for quite a while.
1: Yeah, I mean, Brandon Moreno, I would yep. like to see that next. Um, and the list goes on.
0: Yeah, um, what was it? Tim Elliott looked good the other night, too. So I think there's a lot there for Figueroa, But I like it. I will say this. I'm very interested to see it. I think that, you know, some some good scheduling, put him on some nice cards, I I think that he'd really bolster a lot of events, and I think that's a big deal for the flyweight division. But yeah, um, just a crazy, crazy week. Two fight cards, a lot of stuff. um, Some breakout stars. So these guys, you know, all got that Fight Island showcase. To my knowledge, they could only fight on Fight Island. They can't make it to Vegas, but Kamzat Shumayev. The guy who's fighting um, Saturday night, if I'm not mistaken. He had a breakout performance. Munir Lazez, who apparently got to the UFC because um, one of Dana White's son's friends showed him highlights at a party. I mean, talk about wow. that story. So Jeez. some breakout stars. The big contest. You had, I know the one everyone saw, Ariane Lipsky, with just that violent knee bar. Okay, I'll just say, like, everyone's thinking it. That's a beautiful woman, but that was a scary submission. I mean, that was like Ronda Rousey making them cry out, you know, watching her get that knee bar. It was scary in the best way possible.
1: That was kind of jacked up. I mean, you know, you win however you can, but, like, come on. (laughs) Did you really have to do it that hard? just saying you sign up for it right (laughs) (laughs) that was hard to watch it was brutal oh that was just
0: like like the wishbone from the chicken you know what i mean i said that was like but i would argue she didn't even have the best submission of the weekend if you saw it at lfa i'm calling this one sub of the year vanessa demopoulos for the strawweight title inverted reverse triangle in a come-from-behind victory, she was getting beat for three rounds to get that finish in round four. You saw it, I'm sure, Natalie. Yes. What was the better submission?
1: Honestly, as cool as Vanessa Demopoulos, if I pronounced that correctly, yep. as that submission was, just for, just for pure meanness, I got to go with Lipsky, man. That was just a mean submission. That was mean, man. That was mean. She's just like, I'm going to break your knee. I'm going to make you scream guttural a little scream so for me it's Lipski but but the other one was cool I mean when I saw it I had to ask you what what is it I, I'd never seen anything like that it was crazy and and to be able to, to have the the you know the the patience of mind to to pull that off when you're losing to, to see the opportunity to stick with it that's very impressive for uh for Demopolis for sure
0: I, I gotta say I'll give you this it's kind of like when we gave um uh, Francis Ngannou, the knockout of the year over Overeem, it was just an uppercut. There were a couple more high-stakes knockouts that year, but it was just about the violence, the impact of that one that gave it the nod. I think um, I'm gonna give Demopoulos the degree of difficulty, and really that tends to be my criteria. But it's hard to argue against that the violence of the Lipsky one. That was just oi, like my bones cracked and I cringed thinking about it. You know what I mean? like. Dude, oy. yeah.
1: That's so, like one of those where, you know, you see a, a low blow man or woman and you're like, ooh, I felt that one. Yeah. This one's even easier to feel. Oh my gosh. I, yeah, so
0: I think that they're going to give, like when we get to the end of the year, I think that Lipsky's going to be the one in the conversation. But I think Vanessa, that's just a tougher submission to pull off, plain and simple, so.
1: Yeah, and yeah. I realized I just said patience of mine, presence, presence of, mind. of mind. She had presence of mind.
0: It's Thank okay. <laughs> I have a lot of patience of mine, too. <laughs> Ooh, yeah,
1: I need some more of that.
0: <laughs> no, but um, a great night of fights, a lot of good stuff. So, yeah, Fight Island number two was popping, for sure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, they'll get uh, rolling. We will get back to Abu Dhabi, no worries. The boat has not left. The plane has not taken off. But there is some stuff going on in Las Vegas. Yesterday, Dana White announces with his buddy, our old friend, Ronda Rousey, that Holly Holm versus Irene Aldana is postponed. That word was used specifically, I like to point out. The fight is postponed. Aldana apparently stepped out. Holly Holm, um, you know, she felt like Aspen and Irene were the only opponents that would push her back to the title shot. So she said, I'm going to sit out. And now, Edmund Shabazian will um, headline against Derek Brunson. This guy, you know, how do I put it? I feel like he's uh, Ronda Rousey's revenge. You know, he's with the same coach. He's at the same camp. And I guess he's just showing that all that stuff you used to criticize about her coach is not true. And so far in the UFC, he's kind of done a good job of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's super impressive. And then when he, you know, we cannot forget when he won, I can't remember who he beat now, the last fight. And then Edmund Tarverian was, was crying at the in the octagon. Yep. was so overcome with emotion that he finally had, you know, someone uh, win, a, a strong, powerful, you know, fighter that's winning. It reminded me of when um, Freddie Roach was coaching Miguel Cotto and Cotto beat, who did he beat, Sergio Martinez? I can't remember who he beat. Yeah. And he was almost crying too because it was like finally after having a couple of losses in the Pacquiao he had another win on his uh uh on his belt there. So so very interesting. And yeah, I mean it definitely makes me think like, okay, so in the Tarverdi and Rousey equation there, who who was it then? Because uh, Edmund Shabazian is really good. Like really good. Um who's what's the, the <laughs> What went wrong is what you're trying to say nicely. <laughs> yeah. You
0: know what? I, I said this very simply. I think that there came a point where Ronda... Look, Ronda was very talented. She had a great set of skills. Great, great athlete. I think people underrate her athleticism. I know she didn't look like Jack. Like She doesn't go out there looking like Megan Anderson. I, I get that. But she's very well-conditioned, very fast, very powerful... I think a point came where she may not have been about, you know, I'm doing a lot of, you know, Muay Thai practice, wrestling practice, kickboxing. And, you know, I think a lot of those necessary lessons you take, I think that she did a lot of fight-specific training. She was trying to put her skills to work rather than maybe add to the toolbox over time. I think that's yeah. what it is. Um, How much of that, you know, do you put on Edmund? Clearly, we don't know, but... I think that there's something to be said for Shabazian is that at this point that uh, he's doing really, he's doing really well, and it looks like he knows what he needs to do to be successful, and he's going to need it against a tough guy in Derek Brunson, so I'm looking forward to that. I think it's a good main event, good test for him, good indicator, because it's a main event, so it's going to be a lot of questions, I think. I think had he stayed at co-main event, he And he wins, he wouldn't get as big of a fight as if he wins it now as the main event. I think that he wins, suddenly you're talking about, you know, guys like Jacare or someone in there who's uh, a little step up from Brunson.
1: Um,
0: Furthermore, this one, I was very interested about uh, this one. JoJo Calderwood, she puts her title shot on the line. She decided she's taking a fight. Two weeks' notice... Against uh, Jennifer Maya. She steps in for Viviani Araujo, who tested positive for COVID 19. Get well soon, Miss Viviani. Get well and stay safe. But yeah, Jennifer Maya. This is, uh, I know Jennifer's not up there as like, you know, she's not Kaitlyn Chukagian in the rankings and all that. This is still not a walk in the park for anybody. So this is a big fight for JoJo to take on short notice. She could have waited. I saw an interview with Helwani. She said that essentially Valentina, the fight to her knowledge would happen at the end of this year. And she was like, look, I haven't fought since September. I need to get in there and all that other stuff that's necessary for a fighter. Money, training, just the litmus test on yourself. Um, So interesting decision, but I like it. I think it is a very power move and i think that it just makes a potential fight with valentina even more anticipated if she wins.
1: Yeah, it's ballsy but but of course if she hasn't fought since since september she had, you know, a title shot on the line right right there before her eyes and then it floated away to the end of the end of the year. Like you're you're itchy, right? You're you're itching for fights, to itching to fight, you're itching to have money. Like these are the how this is how they make their living. So, it makes sense, but Gosh darn, is it risky. Um, but I do like the, you know, two weeks notice kind of thing. we're seeing that a lot during this period of, of, of 2020 with the coronavirus changing everything. And lots of fighters are doing, you know, one card after another short notice fights because if you're willing and you need the cash or you're just willing to fight and the opportunity is there because, you know, there aren't as many fighters able to, to, to step in and do it. So I like it. I like it from just, like, a fighter's perspective. Like, yeah, man, let's go. Two weeks' notice. But it makes me nervous for her title shot. I'm curious. Did she say anything in the interview about her title shot being guaranteed, regardless, win or lose?
0: I think it was, like, her understanding is, yeah. So. Mm. Uh, okay. I mean, I mean, I mean you yeah, just win-win. straight up.
1: Like, like, straight
0: up, she wins. Like, how is it going to go away? She did also mention, like, she's watching... Um, like the other girls fight and it's like yeah you know it is a little a little weird to see this happening you know what i mean yeah sorry i should have said win or lose so lose right obviously if she wins it, it doesn't change anything i will say this let's say she were to lose um would you i guess how would you feel about cynthia calvillo jumping in there in december you know what i mean
1: Oh, that's a tough fight for Cynthia. Cass- I mean, look, take a tough fight for anything, <laughs> I, I really so. thought you were about to say that's
0: a tough fight for Valentina, and I was like, I'm gonna uh, need you to no, explain. Not.
1: there is no uh, tough fight for Valentina. Um not a one twenty-five.
0: Like I, not, like not I'm, yet. Like I know that Jessica I is a uh, one tough uh, customer, but I don't know if I was as inspired by the Calvillo fight, you know?
1: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, there's there's. Valentina is in an interesting position. The 125 division is probably the least dangerous of all the divisions in the UFC right now. And she's probably one of the most dangerous, most skilled fighters in the UFC, regardless of weight class and and all that. So um, not to say it's it's easy pickings for her. Every fight is a challenge and you never know. And she prepares herself that way. But I I don't see any, any big threats for her anytime soon. However, every fighter's day comes. It doesn't matter how great you are. There's always someone in the wings preparing, watching, studying. You know, we saw with Holly Holm who who just, that's all she did was study how to defeat Ronda Rousey. And you see it all the time. So in any case, good for Joanne Calderwood and and, and good luck to anyone who, who fights Shevchenko as a side note.
0: I mean, it's just, it would make for a very interesting toss-up because I think, just very bluntly, I feel like JoJo Calderwood, I think her veteran experience kind of helps. I think that she's been around so long that I think a lot of people recognize her, even, you know, from the quote-unquote casual uh, side of things. It's just, it, it, you know, and like respectfully, look, you know, you fight who they put in front of you. I, you know, the Chukagian fight, let's say they were to do a rematch to give uh, Valentina somebody. That's a very hard sell, Right. And then with Cynthia Calvillo, I think that, um, you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a lights out performance that said, yeah, like, look out for me, Valentina. So I think it would make for a very interesting situation. The point is, JoJo Calderwood could be rolling the dice on a lot of uh, scenarios going into the end of the year. So I think that's something to be said, but I also believe in JoJo. So take that for what it is. Before we move on, have you been seeing Amanda Nunez posts lately about Valentina?
1: No, she's I have been not. doing
0: this Throwback Thursday, and they're all like punches landed on Valentina and all that. And I'm like, um, you know, I- I'll say this: it's like I know you're on vacation, so that almost feels like cyberbullying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a I know bit. you won, like I know you won twice, but dang, you were like rubbing it in lately for some reason.
1: Well, she's, she's clearly got plans for when she returns from a maternity leave. And um, it makes sense, too. That's a, great, that's a great rubber match. Well, not rubber match. I think Shevchenko won the second one. So in my mind, it's a rubber match. But, you know, 2-0 against Shevchenko. Um, but then but, I think uh,
0: Valentina said, you know, she doesn't have, you know, like 135 trilogy with Amanda just isn't on her radar. So it's like, why, why do you feel the need to bring that up then, Amanda? You already won twice.
1: You know, yeah, great point. But but that's probably the most exciting fight she can book for herself right now. Nunes, mm-hmm. not right now, but in the, when she returns. And she's just testing the water. See, you know, see who see, see who bites. She'll probably pick someone else next. Um, like, well, when was it? It was the first Fight Island card. And she posted a picture of her punching Ron Rousey in the face. Like, oh, what yeah. was that about? <laughs> that was kind of mean.
0: <laughs> I mean, like, I, like, we remember, Amanda. Trust yeah. me, we did not forget. We did
1: forget. But, what uh, does it have to do with Fight Island? Like, give me yeah. a break.
0: <laughs> I'll say this. You know how, like, in the, in, like, you know, you have two goats, right? You have Amanda Goat and then you have Valentina turning into a little flyweight goat. Well, instead of goats, imagine them as two little rams. And that's what I feel like we're seeing when they keep posting about each other. The rams crashing the heads. It's like, oh, goodness. That's the visual I get when I see Amanda and Valentina, you know, talking about each other. It's the two rams crashing heads. Yeah. Because we could have two, what little, two little goats, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's just like, I I don't, I don't know what's going on. I know you're trying to tell me something, I just don't know if that's the right message. Yeah, but yeah. that's weird. Um, Further note, uh, let's talk about a little bit of the, I guess, the happenings in MMA. So, like we've brought up, um, Sergio Perez and Ricky Bandejas, they will welcome Bellator back tomorrow, I believe in about two weeks. Yes, two weeks. They have the rematch, Michael Chandler, Benson Henderson 2, um there's a lot of speculation you know obviously a lot of people are kind of like uh they're kind of like leaving hints like oh fight camp expecting the call and you know you got guys like cyborg and archuleta not cyborg's a guy but you know what i mean all the bellator people Mm -hmm. are kind of trying to wink wink you nudge nudge hey i'll be fighting soon um that is great news i like that they're moving along. I will say this. Uh, when I saw... In, okay, there were a lot of fights we were looking forward to, right? Lima versus Musasi, The featherweight. Grand Prix. Pitbull. Ryan Bader. I was a little um, surprised. What's the big fight back? Sergio Pettis. Ricky Bandejas. I was like... Uh, mm, I mean, that is still a good fight. Yeah, but you know, it wasn't the biggest names. But I'd point out... That would probably be a main event on the regular Bellator schedule anyway. So I do think that this is an indicator of long-term planning. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm okay with, the, with that being the first card back. You want to test the water a little bit. And, um, you know, they're still on... Uh, are they still on the zone? They will be
0: simulcast on the zone for right now, tomorrow, okay. yes.
1: Yeah, well, okay, never mind. Um, but yeah, I'm okay with that. They're actually, you know, Bendejas is really, really exciting. Let's see how Pettis looks. He's probably a lot happier. And, um, you know, Bellator has <laughs> has to, um, you know, I guess I'm, I'm, I haven't, like the UFC, when they were preparing to start their fights again, I was really in on what they were doing and everything, but I haven't been following Bellator, so I don't know. How much of a struggle it's been? How much of a you know bubble they're making um, for for their fighters and stuff? And and are they gonna do like a multiple back to back events at Mohegan Mohegan Sun? I mean, the, oh yeah, yeah, they will. Yeah. The impression I'm
0: getting is they're trying to get like a roughly every other week, every three weeks fight um, through at least the summer. So I'm assuming going through September, that's where they're at uh scott coker talking about the fight sphere i think he said that because you know you don't want to be like the last one to the party with your bubble right right the sense, nba bubble the fight, yeah, the fight, the fight, island. fight orb. yes so i i do like the phrase though i think if we heard it first we'd be feeling a lot better about it but yeah the fight sphere um at mohegan sun they, they tried the california studio thing and they said that quite bluntly, those studios are all getting going to be used because all the TV shows are trying to come back at this time also. Ah. So that makes sense.
1: Yeah, uh, I thought yeah. they were going to do something with Viacom. That's what I had last heard, yeah.
0: I mean, I, I will say this. They have the advantage that a lot of their stars are stateside, but then at the same time, a couple really big ones are not. So Gega Musasi and, to my knowledge, Patricio Pitbull, two biggest ones that are obviously, you know, I don't know about, uh, from Brazil to United States seems to be a challenge. That's why we had so many Brazilians over the last few weeks, right? So that's a challenge for Pitbull, which is a big deal, a double champ out. Same thing for Musashi. He's kind of going to be part of some big fights, right? So I don't know. That's a very big conundrum. And I'm sure they're doing this with that in mind. It's like, look, you know. Let's see, by September, if we can get Gay in, and then Douglas Lima's in uh, Florida, if I'm not mistaken. So I think all of that is just remains to be seen.
1: Yeah. All right.
0: Um, other positive news, you know, California, you know, other states saying we can't we will approve combat sports like boxing. No fans everywhere has to now have a bubble. I found that very interesting that they <laughs> spelled it out in black and white. You must have a quote-unquote bubble, a quarantine zone. So essentially what they're saying is your venue must be secure and your hotel must be secure and you got to test everybody. So essentially you don't need to have the Ritz-Carlton, but you do have to have two zones completely set up that are for sure COVID-free if you're going to do this. So take that for what you will. That is a positive sign, especially as we worry about it. Um, I want to talk about PFL last, uh, but let me ask you this. Vegas, everything seems up in the air. Because, yes, you know, like I know if we're in California. Some businesses are closing. Some people you hear about going back to phase one. Some people feel like they never made it out of phase one. I get it. It's a very ever-changing situation. Do you, I guess, what do you see being the contingency, if any, For the UFC in Vegas. Because they're about to get rolling. Not just five events. But Contender Series starts next Tuesday.
1: You mean like what's their backup plan?
0: If any. That they could even do at this point.
1: You know they. The way they were. The way Dana White was talking anyway. When that first. Was it UFC 241. I can't remember what first card got. Got booted out of California. Out of the Tachi Palace. Um, And he was like. We got 10 states where we could have done this. So. Even though they were pretty happy to be back at the apex, I bet they have backups, you know, already in place, and they've been doing this for a few months now. It's, it's. I wouldn't call it a well-oiled machine because this, this, these, uh, the parameters are always changing. But they've got to have Florida as a backup, even though you know the, the cases are rising there, but Florida's willing. The NBA stayed put. They, you know, they, 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 double Saran wrap their bubble and everything's okay so far. So I do believe they have a contingency plan, but they're probably hoping that they can just stay at the apex. Like that's, that's so much easier for them. I mean, when I hear that California could do it,
0: I could see Dana White saying, all right, where's the closest Hilton resort? Book it and just, you know, they just get a gym make sure it can hold the octagon and let's go i can see that I mean, happening
1: i feel like i feel like our governor i don't know man i mean i guess if they're really going to let boxing come back i don't know but it's mixed 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 messages for sure because they're shutting gyms down they're shutting salons down there you can't you know we open and we close everything again and now they're going to let boxing in it's very strange
0: yeah i'm with you there and i think that once again um, needs observation because yeah. i think that Look, I'll say this, anything could happen at this point. I know we are optimistically hoping that things do not, the ball does not keep going back downhill anymore. But very bluntly, I mean, the way the news carries on, sometimes I feel like, yep, we're officially back to essential only. If it's not getting medicine and groceries, stay home. And that's very concerning. So everything's on the table and while i hope there are fights i'm also aware that these are crazy times and we could all just be chilling on a beach in abu dhabi the octagon you know drinking a mai tai that i set on my nice ufc belt i'm sorry i'm getting distracted (laughs) um last but not least uh pfl they kind of doubled down and said i know everything's coming back but with the season format we're just not going to do events uh, the CEO, um, they changed him, and there haven't been too many PFLs since then, so I forget his name. But, um, yeah, essentially he says, like, we would entertain champ versus champ fights with another promotion, which, um, <clears throat> yeah, I raised a big eyebrow when he said that's what he's willing <laughs> to do. But essentially said, PFL, uh, the door is closed. Spring 2021, Period. I immediately thought of the Lance Palmers and Kayla Harrisons that very simply, you know, these are this is a whole year plus off of these guys' and girls' careers. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow if I'm a PFL fighter because you see the UFC's already been doing it for two months. Okay, PFL's not, doesn't have the resources the UFC does. Okay, but now Bellator's back, One's back, LFA's back this reason of you know the season format and that's why we're not gonna have one-off fights doesn't make sense at all like you have to keep your brand alive you have to keep your fighters paid like whatever they're able to pay the ones that they didn't release is not it's not close to what they would have been making if they were fighting and like it just doesn't, I just don't understand what the real reason is there's, there's something deeper, right? Are they just out of money? Like there's a bigger reason than just, Oh, it doesn't make sense. So we're not getting the full story. Of course, why would we? But, um, I think it's, it's disappointing and I feel bad for Kayla Harrison. How, how tied are they? How stuck are they in those contracts? Can they go look somewhere else? Can they get like a, like in the old studio system in Hollywood where you could loan out a fighter or a star, I should say to a different studio <laughs> Excuse me. Maybe the PFL will be willing to do that instead of their champion versus champion uh, scenario, because that's pretty unlikely at this point. Um, but they got to let Kayla Harrison, Lance Palmer. They got to let them fight and um, do something, man. Do something. Get creative. I don't know.
0: Uh, on the PFL side, to be the two, you know, on the shoulder. The whole point is that you go into the tournament fresh, right? So, uh, for example, Kayla Harrison goes in, undefeated, millionaire, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, won the tournament. Same for Lance, same for uh, Ray Cooper III, all their guys, Nathan Schultz, all of that. Okay, uh, let's you put all these men and women in fights. Let's say they don't all win. You now have a storyline going into what would be season three, Of, you know, okay, well, these guys now aren't, their records maybe aren't as shiny going into the next one, right? I would argue now that, okay, I I get that, and I'm sure from a financial perspective, it is very difficult for PFL right now. You know, like, I think out of the major ones, outside of LFA, I want to take a guess that PFL has the smallest roster. You know, so to speak. And mind you, like LFA, maybe LFA is slightly smaller just because there's such a, a large turnover to the other bigger ones. But I feel like PFL, their stable is not as deep already. So, you know, it's just logistically a little bit harder to do the weight class thing. But then furthermore, I think that financially it's like, look, they have a smaller roster, probably a bit of it is budget. And then if you're talking about budget, we've kind of already seen testing is not, uh, you know, chump change. It's really, you know, you've got to really go all in. My big thing about it is that on the athlete side, you talk about Kayla and Lance and guys who are probably on that necessary fights per year. I would gamble that they are weighing the option of, hey, can I afford to fight this? Because PFL is certainly not going to let these guys and girls go for nothing, right? And Mm -hmm. then be like, oh, you could come back. But then if you lose, I still got to pay you this much money. They have a business to run too, certainly. But I think that a lot of the athletes, they're now in the position, they're going to have to weigh it and say, hey, is it worth it for me to fight this? And at the point of, okay, if I get to the other side, it's not just, did I get fights? Am I, is it worth it for me financially long-term? Like, let's say, I don't keep using Kayla because I feel like now I'm putting words in her mouth, but fighter A, okay, I'm out of my contract. Okay, I probably had to fight them in a bit of legal battle first. Like, even if you have a slam dunk, you still got to pay for the lawyer, right? hmm Then, okay, let's say I sign with Bellator. Is Bellator going to offer me the same deal? I know a million dollars isn't on the table immediately, but is it even going to add up? Or then is my point of, oh, am I doing all this just to fight once or twice somewhere else and then come back to PFL? There's so many moving parts there that make it difficult, but certainly every fighter wants to fight. And the one thing you can't get back, you you know, they're giving them a stipend. You can't get back years of your career. You can't get back the months where you were at the top of your game and, you know, the clock is always ticking, right? And that's why fighters are all about getting the biggest fights that they can while they can, for that reason. So my point is it's a very stressful situation, but I think that that's what the fighters are weighing. And then finally for PFL, you got to understand, how do you look to free agents and signing new people when you're doing this? Because let's say there's somebody who is considering PFL. If you know they're not holding fights, is that suddenly as nice as it sounded a year ago? That's a real question.
1: Yeah, there's no way they're signing anyone now. I mean, they, they probably can't even afford to pay their scouts or whoever you know, they had in the position to be looking for fighters or just having managers you know feed them fighters. That's, that's not happening. So how, what's their roster going to look like when they do finally come back? Um, are they going to have to scramble to fight, to find people? Can they, will they be able to afford to put on a full season in 2021? Is it going to be, I mean, who knows? There's, there's so many questions to ask because what seemed like an awesome idea during normal times is proving challenging during these strange COVID times. The, 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 the concept of, you know, a season of MMA. I want to give one
0: final note on PFL. Just my own two cents. And look, this is me not with my money on the line. But if you ask me, when I look at a big picture, I feel like if there was one big knock on the entire PFL Season 2, it's that people weren't really invested in the storylines as much the second time around. It felt like a rerun, you know, so to speak. And that's never what you want for Season 2 out of any TV show, right? Right. So I feel like... No offense, but do a one off and if Kayla Harrison loses, if Cooper the third, if Roy McDonald lose, so what put on the tournament, let the storyline be the redemption it's not gonna feel much shinier get you know putting those guys in you know with on the current trajectory they're on in my opinion, so I would just say that is that big picture I feel like. I feel like it could still happen. I feel like there could be, I mean, it's July. Let's say they look at a November, December thing, and they're just going to do like a holiday showcase for the PFL. Just go for it. I feel like you have more to lose by not doing it.
1: Yeah, the brand gets forgotten. And I forgot about Roy McDonald, speaking of Hmm. Um, forgetting. So what's he doing? (laughs) Jeez, I hope they gave him some, I don't know, like a signing bonus or something. He's
0: narrating his new series on pfl youtube and ESPN plus i think
1: oh okay yeah. well that's great <laughs> watch it it's
0: very good stories okay um before we talk about uh darren rob that's what i that's what they sound like when i read their tweets um, mike tyson and roy jones jr dude what
1: Tell what are they saying this. i have not been on the internet today. what mike tyson's <laughs> coming back he's oh gonna goodness. do an
0: exhibition exhibition roy jones jr what? This September,
1: pay-per-view. I'm definitely paying for that.
0: <laughs> I was, what?
1: This is. Tyson Jones, exhibition bout official. Wow. I mean, I was, you know, because they, him and, or Rafael Cordero, whoever it is, either one of them or other people keep posting Tyson hitting mitts, hitting mitts. And I was just telling my husband, I was like, I don't care how old that guy is. He looks ferocious and he would still he could still kill somebody in the ring if he wanted to. I mean, not that he has. I'm just saying, like, he still looks like a serious, serious threat. You know, he
0: looks like a scary scary 50 plus guy, right?
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. Look, as great as Roy Jones Jr. was, I really just, just based off of the short clips we were seeing on social media, one punch and it's over. So, Jeepers, holy Toledo. (laughs) Oh, my God. Thank you for breaking the news (laughs) live on
0: the podcast. (laughs) so i'm gonna tell you this so you know how we had the last dance and Mm -hmm. you have all these like 10 part eight part six part documentaries tiger king eight part documentaries one and a half two two hour episodes i just think on sports alone 2020 like a 30 for 30 just sports in the year 2020 like, dude, yeah. you know, like they were going to have a whole episode, like half an episode on Mike Tyson and boxing and dude, all absolutely. this. But
1: you better, if they don't like the UFC was the first sport back. MMA was the first sport back with the UFC. Like that better be a large part of the, the, um, the, the series. It should be more than one episode because when I was watching, um, just like ESPN, the show and NBA stuff, like I was telling my husband too, I was like, I really hope they're like doing a documentary on how they set up this bubble. Cause I would love to see all the behind the scenes of this entire machine being moved to Florida and all these, you know, superstar athletes having to eat airplane food in a hotel room. Like, this is an amazing story. So, yeah, you're right. 2020 sports the 2020 sports story is must be turned into a series for sure. Like
0: it would be a bomb 30 for 30. Oh yeah. Uh, You know, like think about it. It's like, Oh episode. What will, what were we doing without sports? And you have the guys playing NBA 2k on ESPN. Like it's live basketball. You have the combat sports episode with the boxing and the UFC and how they did it on the Island and all this other stuff. Then you have the NBA episode and, then they talk about all the Korean baseball that had no yes. people but cheerleaders for no fans and it's a gonna be a bomb documentary in 10 years. I can't wait years. to watch it. The I know next right? time. I the, can't the wait time to watch a virus this virus
1: shuts us down and puts us in lockdown in 10 years. I, I can't wait for this documentary 20 years from now. Yeah. my
0: <laughs> kids Dude. asking me about what was the covid like. Oh son, let me tell you. <laughs>
1: First of all, <laughs> uh, dude. Okay, I'm sorry. Podcast, I'm blown away right? by this. Go ahead. Uh, it's going to be on September 12th. This Tyson Jones thing, and it's going to be supposedly pay-per-view with multiple fights and quote iconic musical performances. And uh, both of these guys are saying they're not going to try uh, try for knockouts.
0: They are not. Okay,
1: that's what I'm reading here on uh, on Bad Left Hook.
0: I'll just say this. They need to take $10 off the pay-per-view right now. <laughs> Why would you stay,
1: say that up front? <laughs> for
0: real? <laughs> you need a lie, Tyson. Come on. Um, oh, real Ew. quick. Hey, I'm still doing my 30 for 30, the boxing episode. How in February-ish, he had Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, and it was popping with so many fans and all the stuff and then the third match months later nobody's there and it's like the tale of two fights and it's like dude it's gonna be bomb anyway natalie we're coming up on our time we need to talk about darren and rob okay back to abu dhabi back on our boat crack open the coconuts sit back you have a middleweight clash the former champion taking on the guy who shot kelvin gastelum in new york last year uh This fight, I think the biggest thing about it is the speed of Whitaker. I think that Darren, he's very powerful. He's not a slow guy by any means. But I think the fact is, at welterweight, he had such a power advantage. He's just not a get on the bike and be a high volume guy. Especially not compared to Rob and what he's able to do. I think that for Darren, the key to the fight is similar to the Kelvin fight. Physicality chop away with some kicks make him fight off the back foot just kind of step forward make it a little ugly make Rob have to brawl with him make him feel like he cannot string his combinations together I think that's going to be the real key for Darren but I think a Whitaker you know keeps him at the end of the punches just really gets a good pace going I think that he has all the weapons to really just outwork Till. So I think that's going to be the key to the fight. What are your thoughts?
1: I am looking at Darren Till and I and his footwork. He has actually pretty good footwork. Apart from being loose and uh, sort of in that karate-style stance when he moves forward and backwards, he's really good at spinning out um, to avoid punches or to get into position to land a punch. So I like that. But I, when I look at Whitaker, he's just so different and so special. And I have to think about his fight with Adesanya. You know, there was more to it than just styles make fights and Adesanya being the better fighter. Like, there, it was a, a deeper problem for Whitaker. I think he of spoke about it, it being a little burned out and all that. Um, so we're going to see him fresh, ready to go, wanting to reestablish himself in the division, get a title shot immediately after this win is his hope. And um, he's just so awkward that no matter how many times I think you watch footage, you study fight film, I don't think you can really appreciate what it's like to fight him until you get in there with him. And I think it's going to be not too much for Darren Till. I think they're going to be going back and forth. I expect actually a, a little bit of a war, a little bit of a war. It's a kind of like an oxymoron, but I expect a little bit of a war, not, not too crazy, um. They'll exchange I think, a
0: few times, but do will be yeah, no blood.
1: More than a few times, for sure. But I don't see anybody knocking anybody out. I think it's just going to be a, a, bloody, a bloody, let's say a little bit of a war, we call it a battle, right? So it's going to be a bloody battle. Okay. And uh, I think it's going to be Darren Till's footwork versus Robert Whitaker's awkwardness. I think the awkwardness is going to win. I don't see, like I said, a knockout. I don't see a TKO. I don't see any kind of finish. I think it's going to go to decision, and I think Robert Whitaker is going to get the nod.
0: I'm with you there. I think that um, when I look at the fight, I think that the tools just work so much better for Rob. And um, I think his level of consistency, um, I think that that's something is that. I think that coming off the last fight, I feel like there's this idea that maybe Whitaker's lost a step. Maybe he's a little, the chin is a little worn down. X, Y, Z, right? I just don't think that that's the case. I feel like... The time off, I feel like his, his. I just feel like he's gonna come back dialed in. So yeah, I'm gonna go Robert Whitaker, unanimous decision. Right. I don't know. Well, I, I just. I, I'm trying to think about like uh, Darren Till. Like, do I see him getting the break? Do I see him getting it back? You know, like, can I see him overcoming it? I don't know. It's tough, but I just believe in Rob by a mile for
1: sure yeah, I'm with you on that i uh as good as Darren till is and as as mm, better suited health wise as he is at the, you know this weight class, I think Whitaker's still he's still the man and he's going to show it on Saturday. Well, there we have it,
0: Fight Island. It's going to be a fun card, at, at least the main card. Like we, I said, it's a lot of, it's kind of like the Legends card, right? So you have Gus coming back against Verdun.
1: Yeah, that's exciting.
0: <laughs> Shogun versus Nog. That's another good one. Then you got Rob and Darren. Then you have Carlos Sparzon, the undercard. It's just a lot of good stuff. So, yeah, that main card, like late prelims on, it's going to be epic. By the way, Natalie. Fifteen fight card. They are, they, that is a long night in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, why is
1: that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven on the main card? Like I why? Don't,
0: like, I don't want to, I know they're in technically the Middle East, and I don't want to be the one to make such a cliche reference, but that's going to feel like a thousand and one nights if you're going <laughs> start to finish. Dude, <laughs> you know?
1: you're going to need a lot of pizza. <laughs> Look at that. Gee, for percent. sure okay yeah but no so um,
0: guys that is it for our show uh next week like we said um we come back to the us of a well they do we were always here but um edmund <laughs> shabazian Derek brunson uh natalie i know you had something you wanted to tell the listeners of mma daily um i'll give you the floor as we close out the show
1: yes quick announcement I'm going to be taking a short pause from the podcast, um, just stepping away for a month. Life's a little a little busy on the home front, and I think it just makes sense to take a little bit of a pause. I'll be back with, uh, with you, Double G, on September 1st. And in the meantime, in the month of August, you're going to have some awesome folks um, to talk about MMA with, I'm sure. And uh, before I say goodbye for a month, for 30 days, I'm going to just go ahead and put this out there now, my pick. Whether you ask me or not, I'm going to say that my pick for uh, Shibet, uh, Brunson uh, Edmund is, uh, is uh, Edmund Shabazi. I think he's going to win. So Shabazian, I'm sorry.
0: Do you have a pick for DC Stipe yet?
1: Oh, am I going to miss that too? Damn. Dude, it's going to, I'm going to go with my heart. My heart is DC, and I think, I think it's going to be a slow and steady. I think he's going to win by decision. Just use his <laughs> wrestling.
0: All right, well, we will see. I I would give you my pick, but then I would lose your listen next yeah, week. Yes, of so. course, yeah. So, so, <laughs> so, of course, you, know, you, 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 you want to know what? It. No, you listen to the show like everybody
1: else. Yeah, of course, okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Tune
0: no, in next week. <laughs> there you go. But, yeah, guys, uh, Natalie, we're good. I look forward to it. Take care of what you have to. And, you know, we're, we're not falling apart, people. We, we text. We're, we're, you know, I will hear from Natalie Trust me, she will tell me all about Joe and COVID and how we're reacting to the NBA bubble over UFC. But yeah, guys,
1: like I said. That's exactly what my text messages are like. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, I know, buddy, I know. Guys, have a great one next week. I'll be back, no worries. Until then, take care.